Hello, and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heavenbound podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds, but also preview what's to come this next weekend at Charlestown Road. Well, Jason had the uh, privilege of preaching this past Sunday, and we're kind of going back through our theme that we had for the year. And the theme is, I am his and he is mine. And that that's just a great discipling concept. And Jason took us through the life of Peter in the Gospels, where he talked about, I am his, he is mine through the eyes of Peter. And particularly what we looked at in that lesson was how when Peter denied the Lord three times, and then after the resurrection, the Lord comes and has a conversation with Peter. So, Jason, why don't you kind of hit the highlights of that for us? Sure. We rooted it back in John chapter 21, this famous scene on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Peter, you can just hear it in the way that John describes the scene. Peter is deflated. He tells a, a handful of his sidekicks, I'm I'm going to go fishing. <laughs> That's what Peter had always known, right? And so uh, all night long we read they are, are out and they haven't caught anything. But John tells us in John 21, just as day was breaking, everything changed. There is someone on the shore there and that person calls out and tells them to cast their nets on the other side. And and we just paused there and went back to Luke chapter 5. Undoubtedly, that scene in John 21 would have made Peter think of really how his life was first changed by the Lord in a different boat, right? Where Peter first realizes Jesus is the Lord. He immediately recognizes his own unworthiness, but Jesus makes it clear, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And so Peter is overwhelmed there in John 21. He he jumps in the sea and, I, you know, I it, it's interesting to try and imagine what's going through his mind. I don't know if he we know that John had beat him to the tomb on that first day of the week. I don't know if he's determined to to beat John to the shore or what it is, but uh, the the rest of them bring the rest of the fish. Jesus has prepared a meal right there on the the seashore and the next few moments of that scene undoubtedly take Peter back to the upper room in Jerusalem where he had promised, even though everybody else may deny you, Lord, I'll never deny you. And John, it seems like, goes almost out of his way to make sure we understand. There's a charcoal fire there in John 21 that Jesus has prepared. Perhaps it reminds Peter of another charcoal fire just a little before this when that same night that Jesus was betrayed, he's warming himself around a charcoal fire on a cold night and, of course, denies that he even knows Jesus, invoking a curse upon himself, swearing with an oath. And just as Jesus had foretold, had warned him, a rooster crows. Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus and Peter even lock eyes and Peter goes out. He weeps bitterly. There's a lot of uncertainty hanging there, but it sure does seem to me like that scene in John 21. It's not Jesus 
sticking him with a knife and just twisting it. It's not him trying to make Peter feel worse than he already does, but he gives Peter the opportunity to reaffirm his love three times, just like Peter had denied the Lord three times. And and through this, what, what we see is how Peter's faith grew, how his confidence was restored. I mean, he he was at the bottom of the barrel, we could say, when Jesus looked at him after he denied him. Peter was so assured that he would never, ever deny him. He even said in one of the gospel accounts that I'll die. I'll die for you. And all it took was the voice of a servant girl, and that just crushed him. And, you know, just a few months later, a few pages later in our Bible, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, we find Peter and John have been in trouble for preaching Jesus before the crowds in the temple. They're brought before uh, the Jewish hierarchy and their councils. And in verse 13 of Acts 4, it says, Now they observed the confidence of Peter and John, understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And what's so interesting is, as uh, Jason finished the sermon Sunday, my class on Sunday was about Acts 4, and we were talking about confidence. And so I think that would be a good subject just to kind of take off today and spend some time talking about confidence. Uh, The two things that kills confidence the most is fear and failure. And we see Peter failing, but then his confidence came back. We see in Acts 4 attempts to make him afraid, but his confidence was there. And that's so essential as we think about our walk with Jesus, that we do it confidently, that we know what we're doing is right. There are occasions when we need to stand and speak for Jesus. There's times when we must sometimes have that crucial or hard conversations with others. And confidence is essential as we walk with the Lord. I love how, you know, in in thinking about how this all changes in Peter's life, and we could look at other examples, I'm sure, over the next few minutes. For instance, we'll talk about Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the Apostle Paul and goes through a, a similar transformation where he's just shattered, right? He has believed in all good confidence and conscience that Jesus from Nazareth is an imposter and comes face to face with the fact, I was wrong. I was completely and utterly wrong. But I love how, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul talks about how we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him, through our faith in Jesus Christ. This is not the confidence, for instance, of a Herod, uh, you know, a, a Herod who will say with all brazenness, I want every male child under the age of two to be killed, and I I have, re- have every right to do that, or Herod the Great's son, who will accept the praise and even the, the worship of people who would say of him, he has the voice of a God and not a man. We're not talking about that kind of confidence, right? We're not talking about self-centered swag. Here We're talking about confidence in the Lord. That's what makes all the difference. And so that, that leads to a, one of the first questions I want to ask you, you know, just what does spiritual confidence look like? What, 
What is the difference? And you, you kind of gave some illustrations there, but what's the difference from confidence and someone being cocky? Yeah. And, and sometimes those two may seem the same, and some people may get the definitions mixed up. To be confident is to be cocky. Well, that's not true. And so what would that look like? Yeah, so I, I think the first passage that comes to my mind is Philippians chapter 2, where we've got this call of the Apostle Paul to believers in Corinth. Uh, he, he writes in Philippians 2 verse 1, for instance. So if there is any encouragement, notice what he's rooting this is, uh, rooting this in. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Listen especially to verses three and four. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What What is this arrogance you were talking about before? Well, it has roots, right? In selfish ambition, conceit, putting myself ahead of others. And there are plenty of examples, ancient and modern. You know, how many politicians, how many online influencers, how many sports stars, celebrities could we point to that have a great deal of confidence, but it is all self-centered, full of conceit, full of putting myself ahead of others. That's not the confidence of Christ, right? Where he is not swayed by popular opinion. He's not, you know, licking his finger and sticking it up in the wind to see which way the wind is blowing and then basing his next move on that. I mean, even some of his strongest opponents said, we recognize that you don't really care what other people think. And Jesus would be quick to say and remind them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Now, here is Paul. His life has been changed by that, and he's calling disciples then, and I would argue today, let your encouragement be in Christ. Let your participation be in the Spirit. Have confidence in the Lord. That's going to motivate you to do what's right from the right sort of heart. Absolutely. So the the idea of someone being cocky, that's that's rooted in pride and that's yeah. rooted in self. Look what I can do. Look, look, and, 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 and all the attention points to you. When we talk about confidence, the eyes point to the Lord. Look what the Lord has done in me. Look what the Lord has, what talents he has given me. It's not about me. It's about what the Lord has done. And that, that that's very valuable as we think about that. I'm reminded in uh, one of Paul's writings to Timothy, he was telling Timothy not to be timid. And uh, as you think about that, what areas of confidence spiritually do we need? How would we use spiritual confidence today? Yeah. Well, I, I I would go back to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, for instance, where he calls all Christians to speak the truth in love. It sure does seem like that's a good place to begin, that, okay, 
the truth is not up to me. I don't define it. There's no group of us that get together and vote on what truth is or what shades of truth we're going to practice or proclaim or share. Truth is objective as presented in Scripture. And so what do I need to do? I need to align myself with truth. We we started this conversation by talking about Peter and how wonderful John 21 is. We can take great comfort from that, right? But Peter was human. Uh, Peter is very relatable. And even after the bold sermons in Acts 2 and Acts 3 and the bold stand in Acts 4, you keep reading, for instance, and in, in Galatians chapter 2, you read about the Apostle Paul having to oppose Peter to his face. Paul writes for all time. Peter stood condemned. Well, how did, how did that all happen? I mean, Paul gives us some details about there were certain men who'd come from Jerusalem and Peter would eat with them, uh, with uh, Gentiles, for instance, in the region of Galatia for a while. But when certain Jews came up, Peter separated himself from those Gentiles, wouldn't eat with them. He's, he's acting hypocritically. And I, I, I think it's so powerful how Paul says, I withstood him to the face. He, he describes what happened, but then he gets to the heart of the matter in Galatians 2.14 and says, I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. So when we talk about confidence and where we need confidence, how how we can draw it, number one, I would say, we've got to get in line. We've got to align ourselves with the truth of the gospel. That's the bedrock. Absolutely. And, and then it's going to trickle down to the different relationships and circumstances we find ourselves in. Uh, I think about the young college students sitting in the classroom and maybe having a biology professor who just arrogantly mocks what the Bible says about creation and about a God even existing. And, and rather than, you know, cowering in fear, that college student confidently knows that it doesn't matter how many letters are after your name. It doesn't matter how many books you have written, how how long you've been tenured with this university. I know whom I have believed, yeah. and I know what the Scripture says. And he has confidence in that. And so, so you know, there are there are going to be times in our lives where we are in situations, and our knowledge of God's word, our stance with Jesus, is going to be called upon. And that's where we stand confidently. I know what the Bible says, and you know, there's a great expression in the Book of Acts as Paul's traveling on the Rome, and there's been uh, storms, and there's been sea wrecks, and all, all kinds of disasters. And there, there was a time when they thought they were going to die, and an angel appears to the Paul and tells them that there'll be no loss of life. And Paul translates that and gives that to the rest of the people on the ship, and he makes a statement, it will turn out exactly as I have been told. That's confidence. And so when we look at our scriptures and we see the world around us falling apart and people running scared like Chicken Little and thinking the sky is falling, it's going to turn out exactly as God has told us. That's confidence, not in us 
but it's in the word of God, knowing that God speaks the truth and is always true. I think that's what's so powerful about knowing some of the backstory of a Paul or a Peter. And then to hear, for instance, Paul say in Romans 1, I am not ashamed. Now, <laughs> that's not where the sentence starts right, or stops, right? Uh, th- there were things of which Paul, in his personal past, was ashamed. But now, the the source or the root, the focal point of confidence has changed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Peter writes in First Peter chapter one about living hope that he has and anyone can have. When the confidence is rooted in me, that is like building with sticks on sand, right? And just waiting for a hurricane to blow through. But what changes these people's lives, what can change anybody's life is the gospel that orients our confidence, our strength in the risen Jesus Christ. And I think another area that's just paramount as we walk with Jesus, where we need to have confidence in, and that that is our destination in heaven. I, I sometimes hear people, you know, as if they're praying with their fingers crossed, or maybe they got a four-leaf clover in their pocket. They really want to go to heaven, but they're just not sure. I just don't know. You know, again, when we look at the confident Paul in the book of Second Timothy 4, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me. There is laid up. He knew it's going to happen. Why? Because of the promises of the Bible, because of his faith in God. He knew those things. And so <clears throat> we should walk and journey with Christ, not with a question mark, but with a sense of confidence. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. Have we done everything we should have done? Absolutely not. It's through the grace of God that we're going to be saved, but there's a sense of confidence. There's a sense that assurance, we sing that song, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. That has so much to do with this as we think about our journey together with God. Yeah, and that's the beauty of this phrase we've returned to over and over again this year. What Peter could see beyond a shadow of a doubt there in John chapter 21 is Jesus is still holding that door open for me to be able to say, I am his and he is mine, right? Jesus had been faithful. Jesus had prayed for him. Jesus hadn't given up on him. Jesus was there to lift him up on more than one occasion, whether we're talking about from, you know, the waters of the Sea of Galilee or from that despair in John chapter 21. There was no doubt in Peter's mind, I have really messed up, but Jesus loves me. Jesus can use me. Jesus first laid his life down for me. Now he's calling me just to keep following him. And I think another mirror of that is the Lord's story, the parable about the prodigal son. No doubt. He made a major mess of his life, but he knew he could go home. Now, thinking in his mind, I'll go home and be a servant. And his father had other plans. You're you're a son, you'll always be a son. But he knew he could go home. And so the lesson for us is sometimes we've made major mistakes in our lives. Sometimes we've let people down. We've hurt others. And and we may feel like, well, I I just can't come back. Um, These people won't accept me. Or the Lord will never forgive me. Uh, The confidence is not in us. 
It's in Jesus and the promises of Jesus and the goodness of God. And through those things, we need to see that you can take somebody who's denied like Peter, somebody who ran away like the prodigal, someone who killed Christians like Paul, and confidently they all could be something that was useful to God when they came back where they should be. We have the opportunity to just keep building our confidence, right? That is just a blessing of being a part of a church family. I appreciate you revisiting the sermon with me, but we're, of course, looking forward to this evening because we're in the business not just of studying the examples of other people and what the Lord did in them, but building this confidence for ourselves. That's why we have Bible classes tonight. So, Roger, tonight in the auditorium, what do you have going? We're, we're looking this last quarter of the year at what we call profiles of serving. We're looking at different people in the Bible who served. And what we're finding is there are layers and layers of ways people have served. And tonight we're going to talk about the difficulty that sometimes comes with serving. We're going to look at Joseph of Arimathea taking the body of Jesus off the cross. And we don't talk about that very often, but there's some lessons there. And there's some layers about how we serve even when it's difficult. So we'd love for you to come and be with us. In our Building Blocks track of studies, we're exploring on Wednesdays this month, what is wisdom? And tonight... We're going to focus in on how the Apostle Paul, on more than one occasion, describes Jesus as wisdom from God. The big idea of our class is, of course, God is infinitely wise. He's given us a treasure chest of written wisdom in the Bible, but how special that wisdom walked among us in the flesh. We'll talk a little bit about that and what it means for us even today. We'd love to see you this evening at 7 o'clock p.m. I've got the privilege of preaching, Lord willing, again this Sunday morning, and where this past Sunday morning we looked at I am his and he is mine through the eyes of Peter in John chapter 21. I want to go back with us to 1 Peter chapter 1. We want to look at I am his and he is mine through the pen of Peter. And so this will be a little bit of an ongoing series, but we're just going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, noticing how Peter helps us to be able to say, I am his and he is mine. Lord willing, Sunday evening, we are looking forward to a song service. We always enjoy that on the fifth Sunday night of a, uh, of a month. And so we are really looking forward to Sunday. Hopefully good time in God's word and wonderful songs that we can sing together. Roger, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for revisiting our Sunday morning sermon, for your efforts in your Bible class class. If you weren't able to join us this past Sunday, weren't able to watch or be a part of Roger's class, all of these resources and so many more are freely available at charlestownroad.org. Thanks for listening today. We'd love to see you tonight. We're already looking forward to Sunday, the best day of the weekend. We would love to have you come and grow with us. 